Welcome to Books, Stories, People, with me, Nancy Richards. Let me introduce you to Tisetso Mashafani. She's a playwright, director, producer, choreographer and performer who's covered a great deal of ground in her 25 years. She's been dubbed a theatre prodigy and a brilliant young mind. She's last year's Apolitical Academy Fellow and a multi-award winner, including a CASA Award, a Canada and African Award for Women Playwrights, whose work contributes towards understanding of social politics, history and violence in South Africa. Maybe self. But in the last eight years or so of her life, she's been, one way or another, preoccupied with a play called Delela, a Zulu word meaning to despise. She started writing the characters in the play when she was just in matric, but as she's matured, the pieces evolved into something more. And with the script finally finished, it was recently performed as a play reading at the Baxter Theatre in Cape Town, followed by discussion between Tisetso, the performance and the audience. Well, I was lucky enough to have a chat to her, but first I asked her the meaning of her name. Uh, it means strengthen uh, in Spedi. Uh, my full name, my middle name is Tado. Uh, so my name means strengthen love. And I strengthen the love between my parents because I'm, I'm the first child. Oh, yeah. that's such a wonderful story. I'm yeah. sure there's a play in that. <laughs> I'm sure. Yes. I'll, I'll think about it. Well, you would be ideally placed to write it. Yeah. But let's. Uh, what you have been doing over many years, you've been strengthening your writing muscle, your playwriting muscle. And I yes. think that you started this particular play when you were in matric, for heaven's sake. You were very young. But you weren't writing the play, you were writing the characters. Just take us back to those days. What were you thinking? Where were you going with this? Yeah, I mean, in matric, I, I studied drama as a subject. And we got to a point where we were doing South African plays. And I was doing house plays as well that they put on at the school. And I realized that the manner in which black characters were written um, and I was exposed to was not necessarily how I was experiencing the world and the classmates around me. So the two characters came to fruition in 2013 based off of two classmates of mine who I thought were just phenomenal young ladies who I thought would take over the world one day, right? But um, then I decided, you know, I'm gonna put them in the context of their friends, they're gonna take over the world. But then once I got out of high school in 2014 and went to university, I realized that the world wasn't what it seemed because I went to an elite, you know, rich, white school um, in Pretoria, and um, that's a very small bubble and way of looking at things. So I couldn't write that play anymore that I initially wanted to write in matric, and then as I grew older and wiser and experienced things, and I got friends who experienced other things, it grew into what we know as today as Delela, where we've got two female characters who are trying to overthrow or challenge patriarchy and gender-based violence, but they have some racial and economic politics to get through first before they can do that. And that's the greater South African picture where we have to look through those politics before we you know, find the rainbow nation South Africa we so want and seek. Yeah, that's essentially. Let's look at the word Delela, which, yes. which is a Zulu word. Tell yes. us about it. Or so tell us what it, it's, its broader meaning. Right, so Delela is a Zulu word, Kosa word, Nguni word, that means disrespect. It means to be cheeky. It means to be out of line, out of order. And I thought it was appropriate because, first of all, if anybody's reading it or watching the play, they know what to expect, right? They know it's going to be a roller coaster of something, and somebody's going to get a little bit upset. Most likely, everybody at some point, considering the, the themes that I was exploring in the text and the characters, which is gender-based violence, uh, racism, uh, political power, 
And those are always very sensitive topics that people will find somewhat disrespectful in the way that I've decided to go about it. And that's being brutally, brutally honest and not shying away from, you know, how people speak to each other and engage with each other. So I'm being very at the forefront and being very honest that this text, these, this play and these characters are, are not necessarily likable <laughs> and politically correct, if I could say that. But they've yeah. grown. They've grown out of you. Because yes. when you started writing those two characters, which I'm guessing are Mercy and Apple, yes. as they are now in yes. the play, yes. when you started writing those two characters, at what point did it sort of, uh, did it sort of um, crystallize into the play Delela? Because between Matric and now, there's been quite a lot of water under the bridge. There's been a lot of experience, a lot of education, a lot yeah. of environmental yeah. issues. Yeah. Talk about that growth period. Oh, where can I begin? So mm. many incidences. Um, after 2013 and I got into university, I wrote a play called I'm Not a Morning Person, which featured what was Mercy's character. And she was, at that point, uh, the wife of a president. And this was 2016, was it? Yes, 2016, she was the wife of a president. So it was me exploring that political power aspect, the performance of the female political figure is what I was looking at at that time, the black female political figure. So I looked at people like Winnie Mandela, um, Rasa Michelle, uh, Jackie Kennedy, yeah, Hillary Clinton, Michelle Obama, and I wanted to understand their play in um, the political sphere of their countries. So that's what I first explored with Mercy, and I thought that's not quite what I want. Uh, it worked very well, but it wasn't speaking to the politics of me as a young black South African women. I was writing about older um, South African women um, in a particular context. But then I wrote an honors paper about it in 2017 when I moved to Cape Town. And um, experiences such as Fees Must Fall happened, and I saw the differences between how the black students and the white students engaged with Fees Must Fall. Um, I looked back at some classmates I went to school with in high school and how they have grown and how they engage with particular racial politics in South Africa, and myself as a black woman, and how I've experienced um, racial politics in South Africa. And I've had many incidences on the bus, um, on social media, uh, at school. And I thought to myself, all right, uh, after writing my honors paper and I was in UCT, I submitted an early draft of Delela to the Baxter for a competition called the Baxter Play Lab. And at that time, the play was set in a church, and um, it was based off of the idea of a church massacre that happened during the apartheid era. I wanted to get that political, but um, I realized that that voice was very of the apartheid era, and I am a post-apartheid baby, essentially. So I was like, I need to write in my voice, in my world. Then I took a two-year break and did a play called Sainted. That went by, and I came back to Delela during the COVID-19 lockdown, where all sorts of politics got exasperated, right? Um, and uh, incidences such as the um, Parktown Karen incident in particular really struck me um, about Amy Cooper who uh, criminalized a black man in, the, in a park for telling her to put her dog on a leash. And she called the police, put on a voice that she was crying that he's, this African-American man's attacking me. And I said, that's what I'm going to write about. That sparked Delela again for me in 2020. And I just sat down for about three months and just really got it out. And mm. I went back to the Baxter. And the Baxter was like, yeah. Wow. That, now you got it. 
Now well, you've got it. It, it. it seems to me that your antennae must be quivering all the time. I mean, all these events on the bus, all oh the things goodness. that you hear in the news, or the social media, um, all the education that you've had, the experiences, the environment that you've been part of. Uh, do you, obviously, it's, it's sort of heightened your consciousness, but do you consciously put them all down? Have you got a little notebook, or have you got a pot that you put them all into and stir it Too every many. now and again? Too mm, many. I've yeah. got a shelf full of notebooks um, wow. from when I was a child because uh, my English teacher and my drama teacher and my father really encouraged me to put my ideas down and I, I took that to art so I have so many notebooks. I have folders on my laptop with articles and links and I have books all over the place. It's an absolute mess but eventually I kind of amalgamate all of them together and make some sort of fictional work from the non-fictional. That's, yeah. It seems that you're very disciplined because you, uh, you would have to be because you've got all this material that's yes. sort of fusing in your mind. Very much so. And one of the things that you've done with your play, which I think was absolutely remarkable, is you've made footnotes of the script itself. Yes. Um, both of your actors at the play reading made reference to the fact that these are lines that they're not just spouting because yes. you've written them. There are lines that have got their their birth in some or other incident. Yes. Just explain those footnotes. Yeah, I, that's always been my process in terms of making a creative work. Delilah's my second play, my second professional play, and um, the first play that I've written, uh, Sainthood, was also born from the nonfiction. I did uh, interviews with, with um, different men from uh, an all-boys sc all school background, and I made it into a fictional piece of work, and Delela's no different. I find it very liberating to be able to take real life examples and then put them in a fictional work that everybody can understand so I can show that I've learned something from these things and hopefully you can take something away from them too. With Delela in particular, um, there was a quote or a saying that Margaret Atwood said about The Handmaid's Tale, where she said that nothing in, Handmaid's, in The Handmaid's Tale was, um, was made up. It was born from something that actually happened somewhere at some time by someone. And Delilah is exactly the same. Um, because at the same time, you know, if you're making a fictional work, you run the risk of somebody saying, you know, you're just exasperating a particular problem by making up something from a dark place in your imagination or something like that. And to a certain extent, I'm saying, no, this is an, an anthology of real life events number one, and at the same time, just protecting myself and making sure that I can reference back to the things that I'm saying in this work. This work is under my name, and I'm gonna take responsibility for everything that's said in it, so I'm gonna make sure that I know where everything comes from, and then I can give you the references in case you wanna do research on it, you wanna understand a particular topic, I've got it right there for you as a starting point. You're doing all the work you understand for all the the learners who are going to come after you and read your plays, and you've done all the work for them Hopefully. because you can say this is this yeah. is where it came from. This is what it means. Yeah, you don't have to worry. It's right there. It's Just click the link. It could be very interesting, but I'll, I'll get to that about learners looking watching your play because I think there's a lot to be learned for people at all levels and people of all colours. Yeah, get wonderful. to that also just just now. When you come back to Mercy and Apple, and you say that you started with them, they were two girls at school. Yes, um, they go on from being. Uh, just tell us about the roles that they play within the play, because they're no right. longer schoolgirls. What? Right. Who are they? They're grown women. Grown <laughs> women behaving <laughs> badly. Behaving <laughs> badly. 
What, um, what, where are they at? What's happening? Right. So um, the two people that I based Apple and Mercy on, they, they very much know that I've written them in a fictional context. And these two women in real life are wonderfully successful, as I always imagined they would be. Um, and Mercy and Apple are, again, fictionalized versions of them. Um, and uh, they, in the context of the play, are two very intelligent, two very powerful, two very ambitious and ruthless young South African women in their mid to late 20s. And they find themselves in a position of being public figures in regards to a very sensitive South African topic of gender-based violence. And their job is to try and find ways to fix the actions that have been done so far in terms of gender-based violence. Um, gender-based violence is a very sensitive and rocky road that South Africa has to navigate. And these two women are tasked to try and figure that out. Um, essentially, the two of them understand their positioning as public figures. They know that um, Mercy is a black woman and that she appeals to a particular demographic of people. She speaks a particular language to certain South Africans, um, and Apple is the same. And they understand that where that can become a little bit of a clash, especially in them trying to work as a team, they have to get rid of all the nastiness that can come between them if they want to present a truly united front. And then this, the, the fighting and the nastiness is where the complications of the play come in because Apple is a uh, well-off um, Anglo-Saxon white woman who comes from a wealthy family. And uh, Mercy comes from a more working class family, but they both have worked their way to the top. And uh, they're clashing in that, you know, they, they're trying to figure out what those politics mean, for, not only for themselves and the organization they work for, but how the South African public will perceive them, which is important for public figures, right? Public figures don't get the luxury of everybody getting to know them personally. They just know you from what they read on the news, what they see, pictures of you, um, interviews that you do, and they're very much aware of that in trying to solve this particular problem as young, wonderful South African women. There's a very particular speech that Apple gives, which I think is almost verbatim from something that you heard when she was a head girl at school, I think. Yes, Can you yes. share that? Yes, I'd love to share that story. It's one of my favorite speeches, actually, um, or monologues in the play. Um, so that particular monologue is based off of two pieces of... Um, communication one it was made from an email and a whatsapp from two different white women in from two different generations um in response to the black lives matter movement right um and especially because i'm a black woman right i need to be very careful in how i write particular characters who are not of my identity appropriation i think yes is the word. appropriation yeah. is 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 something that you know all of us have to tread a line and you know, if, especially if you're writing about people who are not of your identity so Apple's speech is made up of a WhatsApp that was sent by a, a, a young white woman who's younger than myself um, and was someone that my sister knew during her high school years. And they um, approached her to, you know, involve her in the Black Lives Matter protests. And they invited her. They sent her a lovely email uh, saying that we'd love for you to come on board. Please join this meeting. Um, we really think you'd be a great person for this particular cause because you have a platform, people follow you so you can bring these people along and you know, we can help them navigate how to engage with the politics of this. And uh, she sent him a WhatsApp back and verbatim she says in the WhatsApp what Apple has says in her speech about how she fulfilled 
her racial consciousness during her high school years and that she appreciates the activism that they choose to lead, but she will be an activist in her own right. I'm not going to say all the things that she says in Apple's monologue, but the manner and the tone was very triggering in how sort of condescending it was um, in regards to how she wanted to engage with the politics and the fact that she alluded to the idea that, you know, her racial activism had ended at a particular I've point. Yeah. I've done my bit. And I found that particularly insulting and disturbing considering, you know, how she was kindly invited to join in, which is not a thing that actually happens in society. You, you see that something's happening and you join. But uh, she decided to decline, respectfully inverted commas. I love your word triggering. Um, yes. Because your play reading, when it was a play reading at the Baxter, triggered a great deal of debate. It was uh, very beautifully uh, facilitated by yes. uh, Faye Kabali Kagwa. Yes. And, uh, and she invited the audience to, to respond to what they, they felt. And you had a very interesting collection of responses. Yes. Um, not least from a white woman who was very triggered. Yes. What, what, did, what did she say and what did that mean to you? Um, so she responded at the reading and then I spoke to her privately. Um, it, it's interesting, I was prepared for that response. I was very prepared. I knew what was going to be coming because of the way that Describe I... Describe her response. Her response was very... Let's look, let's look over the racial politics and let's focus on the togetherness, the Ubuntu aspect of South Africans in dealing with our problems, particularly when it comes to gender-based violence. But she was very adamant in saying that um, the racialized issues were not for her. We shouldn't make everything a black and white issue, was her response, essentially. And it did not go down well with a lot of audience members. But something that I always remember as a, as a writer is that everybody has their perspective, right? And this is how she experiences the world. I may not agree with it. Other audience members may not agree with it. A lot of audience members, including other white women in the audience, thought it was absolutely unforgivable to, to have that point of view, especially saying it to a black playwright, right? Um, but we spoke privately, and um, I gave her the chance to, you know, just expand on what she what she meant, and so we could have a, a conversation between the two of us. And she said that she she understands why people were upset with her, but this is the world that she knows, and then so the only way that she can understand South Africa is to try and build this togetherness idea. But she doesn't know how to do that, right, because of her privilege. And I said, well, the first thing is you have to engage with that privilege and what it actually means for other people, how we perceive you, how we receive you, and how you speak to us, and that you have to be open to understanding that, you know, as black South Africans, we don't have the luxury to pick and choose when we can, you know, be Rainbow Nation South Africa, but then at the same time, you know, uh, live in the townships where there's no water, there's no electricity, uh, people are getting dragged out of their homes naked, <laughs> um, have to commute two hours to work, whereas you can just drive to work 10 minutes away. So it's understanding those layers and those microaggressions where I think she had the issue, but she was willing to, to have the conversation with me afterwards, but she had to understand that that was not the space to, to speak in that manner. What a wonderful conversation that must have been. Yeah. The purpose of a, a purpose of a play is to trigger. I mean, that is the whole point. If it's just sort of soft and pretty, there's, there's really very little point yeah. other than to sort of entertain mildly. Yeah. So the purpose of a play is to trigger people thoughts in other people's mind. And the purpose of the play reading for you was to get your play from page to stage. Yes. How did it help you to hear audiences react? I mean, she was she was just one reaction. There were many reactions. Yes. How did it help you, and will it change your play? Oh my goodness, it helped 
so much, Nancy. Um, the thing about writing uh, live performance text is that it's you by yourself, writing many perspectives, many voices, many personalities. So getting it onto the stage really helps you understand the nuances, what is considered realistic, whether something will work, whether something will be received properly. And I'm very, very grateful for the Baxter for giving me that opportunity to do the play reading. Um, it's, it's very rare that you have the opportunity to do something like that on that scale. And the play won't fundamentally change that much. Maybe one or, thing, one or two things here, maybe something that I wrote, I'll change the tone of it, or I'll make it a little bit more clearer if I found that it was too complex or too dense. But fundamentally, Delilah is going to stay the same um, because, uh, yeah, I just think that it, it, it the message is clear. Yeah, it, it just yeah. needs to be clear in the writing sometimes and the, and the tone of the characters. And hopefully, we will actually see it performed at the Baxter when the Baxter is allowed to yeah. open again, when the pandemic allows everybody to go exactly. back to the theatre, which will be a wonderful day. We yeah. will be celebrating. Oh, I will be but very much celebrating. Well, <laughs> me too. One of the things that we have, however, learned is yeah. we have learned new things online. We have learned about reading. We have learned that we, we're going to have to survive without theatre, live yeah. theatre, yeah. which means that we've got a script like yours. And I, you know, I was making reference to the fact that young people will read your play, uh, which will be a, a wonderful thing. And I say read your play. Might your play be printed with the footnotes and all, and might that go to young people or older people, anybody? Is, is that an intention? Oh, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm all for, I'm an education activist and on all sorts of fronts. And um, Faye actually mentioned this during the reading that it should be, the text and the performance should go together. And mm. I didn't give it some thought. I didn't think that far. And now that the idea is there, I'm, I'm willing to make sure that it happens somehow, some way, to make the text available to who needs to read it. To me, it's not about whether it's uh, published or you know, um, it needs to be accessed for an X amount of money or whatever. That's not um, the intention for this particular text. I think the text is important enough or um, informative enough that uh, people can have easy access to it and I'd be more than willing. People have already asked me, oh my gosh, can I read it? Can I read it? Uh, email it to the person to read it, definitely. It will be a trigger for each and every person who does read it. One thing I did that did come up at the play reading was you, you made reference to a stereotype called the magical Negro. Yes. I thought, whoa, what is that? Do you want to I just so <laughs> outline the magical Negro and how you made every effort not to write the magical right. Negro? I wasn't aware of the magical Negro trope academically. It was not apparent to me at all during the Delilah writing process until, you know, because of lockdown, we had Zoom readings. I had two Zoom readings before the live reading. And um, we had a Zoom reading with um, a Canadian group of actresses. And um, it was watched by you know some elders of the Canadian theater community. And they gave me feedback. And obviously, I, I took the feedback to heart, right? Um, and one of them said that she enjoyed the play because it, it was very staunch in not being the magical Negro narrative. And I thought to myself, what, what is the magical Negro narrative? And so, as I usually do, I went and did my research. And I found that the na magical Negro is, or the trope of the magical Negro is a black character that's usually supporting um, to a white character who is somehow engaging with, you know, systematic racism or social racism. And this magical Negro character kind of helps them to the redemption or to see the light in a very gentle, 
forgiving, kind manner, never threatening, never aggressive, and always um, overlooking any oppressions that they may have um, experienced to help this usually main white character. And Delilah's not that. It's, it's not that. Mercy as a character is ruthless. She plays by her own rules. She lets Apple know when Apple's doing something silly. And who's the boss? Yes, exactly. So when she said that was the, the magical Negro trope that we were not um, necessarily going for, I, I completely agreed. And at the same time, I look back at some South African play plays because I know that she was thinking of Canadian plays in particular. But then I thought to myself, are there any South African plays that that actually perpetuate that stereotype, and I just didn't know it. And I looked back at, at some plays that I absolutely still love to this day, and I thought, oh my goodness me, this magical Negro trope is very, very present in a lot of South African theatrical narratives. Um, an example of, of, of a character like this is, is the South African Aussie, or the, the helper. I say Aussie because that's how I was raised. Um, the black female helper in a household particularly a white household, is very much a maternal figure to the children. Um, and anything that the children do, racially charged or anything like that, in terms of the family's history, maybe the, the family moved on to this helper's ancestral land, for example, that she was very forgiving of any indiscretions that may have happened in that home towards her. If the child did something, her love for this child trumped anything that may have happened to her or her family's history. And I thought, that's not necessarily fair to that character. I don't think it's fair. It's ideal. It's, it's an ideal you know, picture for a white character, for a white audience to receive that you know, anything that has happened in the past, you know, a black person will be very forgiving and kind, um, evoke a sense of Ubuntu in terms of moving forward. But I don't think that's very fair to the black characters and how black characters are portrayed. It doesn't allow the black characters to be angry at what has happened. It doesn't allow for them to find peace in their own way and expressing that anger in however they want to because they have to be soft, they have to be kind, they have to be non-threatening, they have to be understanding, they have to be diplomatic, but at the same time be revolutionaries. It's a very confusing mix for a black character to live up to in a fictional work, but then it's expected to be recreated non-fictionally. Because in real life, it's not easy to be that forgiving, that understanding, that diplomatic, but be revolutionary and not threatening to white sensitivities. I don't think it's fair. So with Delela, I was trying to say that, you know, there's another way of looking at this. Not necessarily a revenge story. No, that is not it at all. It is a black character who's standing firm in her power and her need to be who she wants to be, but not necessarily at the aid of a white character's redemption. Which is exactly what you've done. You have been completely honest. Thank you. It is, is a roller coaster. It, <laughs> I could see that and I look forward to seeing it in its final version and I look mm. forward to reading it too because I'm fascinated by all the footnotes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Certainly not somebody who deals with tropes or stereotypes or even ideals, other people's ideals. It's said so much, Fani. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And if anybody wants to find you, you are right. all over social media. Um, so you can be very easily found. Yes. And, and I engage as well. DM me. Let's talk. I'm always willing. Let's put it out there. Bless yeah. you. It's been fabulous. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. Thank you.